Thank you, Jane. Uh, great song, great thought, great job. Go ahead and get in your Bible if you would to Job chapter 32. You know, a lot of people make the mistake. They look around the world and see all the mess, and they just assume that if there's a God, there wouldn't be such a mess. The fact of the matter is our world bears witness to the fact that God is not the only force at work in our world. There is evil at work in our world, too. And I thank God for all the goodness that there is. And um, certainly plenty, plenty of things that go on we don't understand. I'm glad we can trust our Father. We've been working our way on Wednesdays when I speak through the book of Job. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job was declared by God himself to be the best man on the planet. He was righteous. He was mature. He avoided evil. Uh, but God uh, was moved by Satan to tempt him, to test him. And so God allowed Satan to, in one, just few moments, uh, Job learned that all of his wealth was gone and hundreds of his employees were killed. Uh, he learned that his ten children were killed by a windstorm an event that people would call an act of God. Uh, his wife uh, abandoned him. Uh, and then, because Job did not give up his faith, uh, God allowed Satan to, to do more. He allowed Satan to give him boils from the top of his head to the tip of his toe. And he literally sat in an ash heap, the man who was the greatest man in, in that part of the world, uh, in an ash heap outside the city, just scraping pus off these boils for months, months. He went from being someone who was well-known and highly respected to somebody who was the mockery of everyone in the town. His three friends uh, traveled from a long distance to their intention was to comfort him. But they got there and they sat in silence with him for seven days and after watching what was going on, they all changed their tune, and each one of his three friends accused him in one way or another of being wicked, of being a hypocrite. They said his children got what they had coming. These were his friends. And though Job's faith had stayed intact through everything that had happened for, for months, this broke him and began to expose something in his heart that Job, he knew it was there, but didn't think it was that big of a deal. And we certainly learn among the many things we learned from the book of Job, uh, that even the most mature people have things to work on. And God was far more interested in making Job a better person than he was in making his life easy. You and I, we're most interested in making our life easy. And that's the way we roll. But if we actually stopped and thought about it, we would know that if all our life was filled with ease and everything went our way and we didn't have all the problems that we dealt with, we'd be very weak. And we would have no sense at all about our need for God. By and large, human beings don't think about God until they have a bad need. And say it's right, and say it's the way it is. And we spent time, we talked about 
uh, what happened to Job. We talked about what each of his three friends had to say to him. We spent time talking about uh, Job's response to his three friends. Remember, uh, he had eight responses. Uh, his first two friends spoke three times. The third friend spoke uh, twice. And after each of them, Job uh, responded to them. And we saw in how Job responded, we learned what someone with great faith in God had at a time when there was not yet a written record. And Job knew uh, a lot about God. We don't know how he knew it without a Bible, but he knew a lot about God. He knew God's personal name. He knew that his Redeemer was alive. He knew that he would be resurrected. He knew that someday, because of his faith, that he would, with his own eyes, see his Redeemer uh, there on the earth. Four men have spoken multiple times. There may have been a crowd that gathered by this time. Remember, all four of these men that have spoken there what people would call great men. They were intellects, they were famous, they were educated, they were wealthy, and there's no television, there's no cell phones. I mean, what's going on other than, wow, these guys that everybody knows are out there talking to Job. There may have been a crowd that gathered. We're not really told, but we do know that whether a crowd gathered or not, there was at least one man who'd been there through the whole conversation. He'd listened to what Job's three friends had to say, he had heard what Job had to say, and this guy, whose name is Elihu, he's about to speak up, and he's going to talk for six consecutive chapters, uninterrupted, 165 verses. Job's three friends together, and they spoke several times, are eight chapters and 190 verses. Uh, I wonder if Elihu talks a lot and has something to say. Or if he's somebody who just talks a lot. Ever know anybody that talks a lot but doesn't say much? I wonder, is Elihu one of those guys? If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's word. The title of my thought is The Words of Elihu. The Words of Elihu. Job chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, of the kindred of Ram against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then was his wrath kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and says, I am young and you're very old. Wherefore I was afraid and durst not shew mine opinion. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there's a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, hearken to me, I also wish you mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Thank you, might be seated. By the time we get to this point in the story, uh, Job was done talking 
to his three friends. In chapter 31 and verse 40, and Job finishes up, he says, let thistles grow instead of weed and cockle instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. He's done talking. I'm not saying anything more. That's what Job does. By this time, it isn't just Job that was done talking. Job's three friends were done talking because they failed to prove any of their accusations in chapter 32 and verse 1. So then these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They accused Job of being wicked, but they could give no examples to back up that accusation. They accused Job of being a hypocrite, but they had no examples of his behavior being something significantly worse on purpose in private uh, than he was or seemed to be in public. Now they had all kinds of opinions, they had all kinds of pious platitudes, they had all kinds of hypothetical statements, all based on their shallow view of who God was, but they had not found anything to practically explain why all these terrible things happened to a man like Job. Now, after all these chapters of their accusations, Job is still righteous in his own eyes. Nothing they accuse him of stuck with him. And that's what verse 1 says. It says, Job, he was righteous in his own eyes. Remember, by God's own testimony, Job was the best man on the planet. He was a righteous man. He was righteous in the eyes of, of those who knew him. He was still a sinner, but he was a righteous guy. He was righteous in his own eyes. He was still a sinner, but he knew he was not a willful and presumptuous rebel uh, against God. Uh, there was nothing willful or presumptuous in Job's life. I mean, Job's life was, listen, I'm keeping all the sin out of my life I possibly can, and whenever I find something, I confess that right away to God, and I offer the blood sacrifice that he required to cover my sins. That's Job's life. Now, there was, however, and we began to talk about it last time, some self-righteousness that had crept into Job's heart. You see, Job had become proud of being righteous and proud of being good. And over time, what had happened in his own mind and heart, he became increasingly convinced that he did not deserve this trial instead of justifying God. Listen, it's very different to say, I don't deserve this, and God is making a mistake bringing this in my life, than saying, wow, I don't deserve this, but God knows what he's doing, and somewhere, somehow, though I cannot see it, God has a purpose and a plan. Now, there should be a bit of a red flag in the mind and in the eyes of those here who are a little more a serious Bible student when the Holy Spirit points out here that Job was righteous in his own eyes. See, being righteous in our own eyes is, being, is very different from being righteous in God's eyes. You pretty much can go to almost anybody and they're not gonna say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm wicked. You, you know, in their own mind, they have plenty of reasons for doing whatever it is they do uh, I mean, everybody is righteous in their own eyes, but that's different from being righteous in God's eyes. And it also should be kind of a red flag if you're familiar with the book of Judges when Israel was really on a roller coaster of, of up and down. One of the observations the Spirit of God makes about people in that time, it says that they did right in their own eyes. 
See, they weren't just walking around doing what they considered wrong in God's eyes. They just were doing right in their eyes. And they pretty much did like most people do, is assume that, well, if it's right to me, it's right to God. Now, that's not true, but that's kind of uh, the attitude. Now, Job did have every reason to boast before his peers, but he had no reason to boast before God. Listen, God is perfect in righteousness. God is perfect in the way he handles us as well as every other human being on the planet. I didn't say I understand. I didn't say anyone understands. I said God is perfectly righteous in everything he does. By the way, one of the things that's going to happen sometime in the future after judgment, when God settles everything, everybody, whether they're in hell or in heaven, whether they're rewarded in heaven or empty-handed in heaven, whether they're suffering a lot and terribly in hell or just suffering some in hell, everybody will say, God, you did everything right. And though this lengthy and painful trial and heartless accusations of Job's friend, God had now exposed what Job needed to fix. And this was the plan for the, from God from the beginning of this. See, it's this point that Elihu enters the pages of God's word, and it's interesting that Elihu enters the pages of God's word angry. Notice in verses two and three. It says, then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, of the kindred of Ram against Job, and his wrath was kindled. Notice he's angry at Job. Why? Because he justified himself rather than God. Notice in verse three, and against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they found no answer and yet had condemned Job. So Elihu enters God's word, he's angry. Uh, He's angry at Job because Job justified himself instead of God. He's angry at Job's friends because they made all these accusations and condemned Job but found no basis with which to do so. He's angry. Now, it's a small deal, but it says that Elihu was a buzzite. Uh, Buzz was not just Lightyear in a cartoon. Buzz was also, he was the nephew of Abraham. And that's one of the reasons, and I've given you several so far, of why people place this book time-wise, like in the time of Jacob and in the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob. Now, Elihu was a young man at the time, and that is contrasted with Job and his three friends in verses four and seven. Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I'm young and you're very old, wherefore I was afraid and durst not show my opinions. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Now, Elihu had an opinion. Listen, everybody's got opinions. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. Uh, He had an opinion all along of why this was going on with Job. He had an opinion all along about uh, Job's three friends and how they were handling Job in the situation. But he decided to keep his opinion to himself. But he did want them to listen to his opinion just like he had listened 
to theirs. And that's what verse 10 says. Therefore I said, hearken to me. I also issue you mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst you searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you. Behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. So, so he says, listen, I've listened to everything Job said. I'm aware of the situation. I listened to everything you said. I've got an opinion too. And I listened for a long time to what you have to say. Now you need to listen to what I have to say. Now, uh, Elihu's going to speak for a long time. Uh, he's going to first speak to Job. He's going to, well, after a lengthy introduction that goes from chapter 32 and verse 6 all the way to chapter 33 and verse 6, 20 verses is his introduction. He, th- this guy, he's a talker. He, he doesn't even say anything for the first 20 verses. And he's going to, after he finishes his introduction, he's going to talk to Job for a while. He's going to talk to Job's three friends for a while. Then he's going to talk to Job uh, for a while again. Um, Keep your hand there. Go in the New Testament to the book of James. The book of James. Now, it's possible that Elihu's anger was righteous anger. The two reasons that are given for him being angry, they're actually righteous reasons for being angry. Job justified himself rather than God, and his three friends condemned Job with no good reason to do so. Um, It may have been righteous anger. I don't really know. This much I do know. Most of your anger and mine is not righteous anger. James 1 Verses 19 and 20. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let the preacher be swift to hear. Oh, I'm sorry, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Why are we supposed to be slow to wrath? Because we're not going to do what's right in God's sight when we act in anger. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, and you can go back to Job. If you know very familiar, the end of the book, you may remember that God condemned what Job's three friends had to say as not being right about him. And you may remember that God commended what Job had to say as being right about him. God doesn't comment on Elihu. God doesn't comment even though he talked almost as long as the three other guys put together. God doesn't say anything good or bad. You say, why? I don't know because actually a lot of the things he said, uh, maybe all of them were true. But maybe God didn't want to commend him because he got it right in anger. Listen, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. And we may be occasionally right when we're angry, but for the most part, we are never going to do what is right in God's sight when we're acting in anger. Um, By the way, part of the deception of anger is we think we're right. Uh, listen, the, I, I'm not, this is not a calm, 
never angry man talking to a bunch of angry people. This is a human being who just like you can easily get angry when I shouldn't be angry and look back and think, you know what? Some of the dumbest things I've said and done, I did in anger. That's why God says, be slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to hear. Now, Eli, uh, who is angry at Job, and as we saw before, and you can go back to Job, in, in the end of verse two, he's angry because Job justified himself rather than God. Now remember, the dark corner of self-righteousness that was exposed in Job. Remember, Job was charitable. Job was a good husband. Job was a good dad. Job, oh, he was a great guy to work for. He had at least 800, at least 800 uh, employees. Uh, listen, he was a great guy in every measurable way, but in his heart, he began to be proud of doing right. And God, as we talked about last time, exposed that. Uh, go back to chapter nine. You may not remember this from last time. I said, well, I mostly don't listen. I play video games when I'm here. You, you, you may remember uh, Job, when these trials started and his friends first started to condemn him, how his attitude was, uh, chapter nine and verse 14, he says, how much less shall I answer him, answer God, and choose out my words to reason with him, whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. See, that's a humble attitude. Now, I wouldn't make any accusations. I would, I would just uh, ask God humbly and supplicate God. Remember how his attitude changed, chapter 13, verse one. Lo, mine eye hath seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior unto you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. Do you see the decline? Look at verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. It's a pretty bold statement. Turn up a few more pages to chapter 23 and verse 3. Job here says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, find God, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Do you see how his attitude has changed? Now, this was always in his heart. Remember, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So this was a dark corner in Job's heart that it took all this stuff to bring out all these accusations of his friends and all this terrible stuff. See, what Elihu wants Job to say is something like, I don't deserve this, but God knows what he's doing. He wants Job to say something like, I don't understand or agree, but I trust God has a reason. He wants Job to say something like, I'm broken, I have no answers, but God never puts on anyone more than they can take. Again, I don't say this critically about Job. Listen, none of us here are worthy to unlatch Job's shoes. The most righteous man of faith on the planet. 
Again, as I said before, I believe the story of Job, one of the reasons it's in the Bible, is so that no human being can ever say, no one's ever had it as bad as me. Read the story of Job. And Job emerged with his faith intact. Job, uh, Elihu's not just angry at Job. As I said earlier, he's angry at three friend, his three friends in chapter 3 and, and 33. I'm sorry, 32 and verse 3 uh, said, because they had found no answer, yet had condemned Job. Listen, it's easy to call somebody wicked. It's easy to call somebody a hypocrite. People throw those words around all the time. It's very different to call somebody that and, and be actual, give some substantive uh, evidence that it's true. Now when Elihu finally finishes his lengthy introduction, I wonder what he's going to have to say. Uh, if you know anything about young men, you know that they can easily have too much confidence. And you also know that they have a tendency to feel like they're right and everybody else is wrong. And so, uh, listen, Elihu, is, is, he's a cocky dude. We'll see this more in, 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 in a moment. But I wonder what he's got to say. Notice he, first, he tells Job that Job has lost sight of God's greatness as he justifies himself instead of God. Chapter 33 Verse 1, wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. Behold, now have I opened my mouth, my tongue has spoken in my mouth, my words shall be of uprightness of my heart, my lips shall utter knowledge. Clearly, the Spirit of God hath made me, the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Now, that's pretty cocky stuff. He said, if thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me, stand up. Behold, I am, according to thy wish, in God's stead. Uh, before we go on, go back to chapter 31, verse 35. You remember what Job said? In Job 31, 35, he said, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book. Elihu says, You want God to answer you? I'm your answer. That's a young man. And then he goes on, verse seven. He said, behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy on thee. Notice he's gonna be way more gentle to Job than the friends. Verse eight, surely thou hast spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying, I am clean without transgression, I'm innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my past. Behold, in all this thou art not just, I will answer thee, God is greater than thou. What does he tell Job? He says, listen, I'm God's answer to you. And you've justified yourself, and God is greater than you. He's pretty cocky. And though he's cocky, he does understand God's mercy to those who humbly confess. Look at verses 27 and 28 of Chapter 33, Elihu says, He looketh upon men, and if any say I've sinned, perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he'll deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life 
shall see the light. See, Elihu understood some about God too. By the way, no matter who you are, no matter where you, you've been, if you humbly confess your sins to God, you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll forgive you. He wants to be part of every life. Most people don't want Christ to be a part of their life. Elihu was right in what he said. And so Job, he had nothing to say in response. Job had something to say in response to everything his friends, three friends had to say, but he had nothing to say to Elihu. So next, Elihu is going to move on from Job's three friends, from Job to his three friends, and basically tell them they should have showed pity to Job and had more sympathy in his pain in chapter 34. Furthermore, Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, O ye wise men. So now he's talking to the three friends. Give ear unto me, ye that have knowledge. For the ear trieth words, as the mouth tasteth meat. Let us choose to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job hath said, I'm righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. He says, what man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water? He says, guys, who's had it as tough as Job has had it? says, which goeth in company with the workers of iniquity and walketh with uh, wicked men. See, Elihu heard them accuse Job of being a wicked hypocrite. Elihu understood, though, that God had not done Job wrong, even though he couldn't explain why this happened either. Uh, by the way, that's called faith. If we knew all the whys, we wouldn't need faith. Chapter 34, verse 10, notice what Elihu says. He says, therefore hunkered unto me, ye men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedness. Neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. So what's Elihu doing? He's taking God's side. He didn't understand. See, Job was willing to say, God's not being fair to me. Job's three friends were willing to say, hey, listen, Job, you must be wicked. You must be a hypocrite. Or none of this stuff would, would have ever happened to you. But, but Elihu says, no, nah, you know, I'm not willing to say Job is wicked or a hypocrite. I, I'm not willing to say God is, is mistreating him. I'm not willing to say that. I don't really understand either, but I know God doesn't do anything wrong. God handles things justly. Elihu understood God didn't put too much in Job. Verse 23, for he will not lay upon man more than right that he should enter into judgment with God. <laughs> See, what Elihu wants is he wants Job's three friends to have a more humble attitude before God. That's why he says to them in verse 31 of chapter 34, surely it is meet to be said unto God, I've borne chastisement, I will not offend anymore. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I've done iniquity, I'll do no more. By the way, what do you do when bad things happen in your life? Is the first thing that you do, do you honestly go to God and say, Lord, is this because of something I've done? 
Lord, is this because of something I should have done that I failed to do? By the way, I'm not talking about the normal wear and tear of life. I'm not just talking about life's regular difficulties. I'm talking about when things happen that are really just almost inexplicable and and bad. Is that what you do first? It should be. But understand that though God does discipline his children, and at times the things that happen bad in our life are because of some sin, and God is trying to get our attention. One of the things we learn in the book of Job is that sometimes some really bad things happen, and they have nothing to do with sins in our life. And God has a completely different purpose in allowing them to happen. If you're a parent, and you're disciplining your children, and your child looks up and said, Mom, why are you beating me? By the way, I don't advocate beating your children. That's just sarcasm. Mom, why are you beating me? What decent mother wouldn't tell them why? Every halfway decent parent, if their child wants to know why they're being disciplined, that parent will tell them. Don't you think that our loving Father in heaven if he's actually bringing discipline in your life and you say, God, show me, is there anything I've done that has brought this on? God, show me, is there something I've neglected that's brought this on? Don't you think he'd answer? And so if is, is his inclination to answer, if there is no answer, then you know this. There's another reason. Now the reason may take a long time for you to know. But if it's discipline, you will know right away. In fact, Elihu, as only a young man can do, he just flat comes out and says, listen, you guys are, you three guys, you're wicked men, and you've brought out the worst in Job. By the way, I like that about young men. They say that, um, wisdom and zeal don't travel well together. That for the most part, you have young men who are zealous without knowledge and wisdom, and you have old men who've given up their passion and zeal. And so, uh, by the way, I don't want to be like that. Um, but Elihu, he just tells them how it is. In the end of chapter 34, verse 36, Uh, He says, my desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for wicked men. For he addeth rebellion unto his sin. He clappeth his hands among us and multiplieth his words against God. He says, listen, you guys are wicked. And Job has said a lot of things that shouldn't be said, but you brought it on. (laughs) Elihu was right. And you know what? Even though those three friends answered Job every time, they had no answer for Elihu. And so when Elihu finishes up with Job, he's going to begin to sound a little bit more like Job, and we won't have a lot of time to go in what God sounds like, and if the Lord tarries and I get to speak again uh, sometime, we will talk about that. We'll just see a little glimpse of it tonight. But as Elihu's finishing up with Job, he's going to begin to sound actually a lot like God is going to sound in this conversation later in chapter 37, verse 14. 
Elihu here, he's talking to Job, and he says, hearken unto this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Dost thou know when God disposed them and caused the light of his cloud to shine? Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge, how thy garments are warm when he quieteth the earth by the south wind? Hast thou with him spread out the sky which is strong and his molten looking glass? Teach us what we shall say unto him, for we cannot order our speech by reason of darkness. And Job, Elihu is sounding like God. Now as Elihu is speaking, Remember, this is a lengthy conversation. Uh, Job, uh, Eliphaz, Job, Bildad, Job, Zophar, Job, Eliphaz, Job, Bildad, Job, Zophar, Job, Eliphaz, Job, Bildad, Elihu. And in the distance, there's a storm gathering. Uh, Elihu hints at it a bit. In verse 22, when he says, fair weather cometh out of the north with God as terrible majesty. Now, when Elihu finishes up, God, because this is an incredibly unique situation in all of history, is going to personally show up and answer Job. Verse 1 of chapter 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, by the way, that word whirlwind there, it is 11 times whirlwind, it is uh, six times tempest, five times storm. And so, as Elihu is talking, in the distance, there's these dark clouds coming from the south, or the east, or the west, because fair weather cometh from the north. And you can see these dark clouds coming in the distance, you can hear the thunder. You can see the flashes of light. And as Elihu is finishing up, these clouds are just getting there, finally close to them, and the thunder and the lightning are close together because it's close to where they are. And then God, out of the whirlwind, out of the tempest, out of the storm, God speaks to Job, and he says in verse 2 of chapter 38, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man. Remember thy personal, this is Job. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I'll demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone uh, thereof? And, and God is going to ask Job uh, 82, 83 unanswerable rhetorical questions. I wonder what all God will have to say to Job. I wonder how Job will respond. So, Brother Waller, what are a couple of practical one or two sentence things we can take away from Elihu's words? The first of them is back in chapter 32. Here it is. Number one, it's wise to respect your elders even though they're not always wise and always right. Look at verse 9 of chapter 32. He says, great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment. See, even though Elihu knew his elders were not always wise, he still respected them and didn't jump in with his own opinion. You know, sometimes I think it's good 
if you're younger, to listen to somebody who's older. You know, sometimes I think when you're older, I think it's good to listen to somebody who's younger. You know, I think regardless of how old we are, when we get to the place where we're not open to input and we're not interested in instruction and we don't want to hear what someone has to say, I think that's a vulnerable, dangerous place to be. Here's a second basic lesson. Number two, make sure you're not angry when you make big decisions or decide what to say or do. You know, sometimes it's hard to be honest about whether we're angry. You see, anger isn't always red in the face. You know, sometimes anger is something that rests in our heart. And we can be angry, angry at situations. We can be angry at life. We can be angry at the way something worked out. We can be angry at someone. And by and large, you and I are not going to do what's right in God's eyes if we speak and act in anger. I wonder how much that would change conversations with husbands and wives. If we have the good sense to say, you know what, let's walk away for a few minutes and then come back together and talk. I wonder how much it would change the relationship of parents and children. I wonder how many severe things have been done to children that were done in anger. I wonder how many hurtful things that have been said would never have been said. But no, we, 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 we have this attitude, well, I'm angry and I'm going to express it. Well, that's real mature. That's real Christ-like. Listen, we should never leave a church, quit a ministry, discipline our children, or respond to our spouse in anger. In fact, I would say don't make any major changes in your life until you calm down. Get your spirit set. Here's the third basic lesson we learn from what Elu had to say. Get to the point when you have something to say. <laughs> See, when you talk too much, uh, there's a proverb. Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. See, when you talk too much, you're going to say more things you shouldn't say. But even if you manage to not say something you shouldn't say, you're going to muddy the water so that whoever it is you're talking to loses sight of whatever you're trying to say. That's the problem with Job and his three friends and Elihu. Listen, if you've tried to read the book of Job, you just get so bogged down in those chapters. You say, what are they getting at? What are they saying? And it's the same problem. All of them love to hear themselves talk. And they have a lot to say, but not much to say. And so what I would say to you tonight, if you're someone who's inclined to talk too much, I would make that area of your life a matter of prayer. Because in the multitude of words, wanteth not sin. I don't know where the message finds you. It may find you where Job was, in the depth of a difficulty. It may find you where his three friends were, critical, condemning, thinking you know everything about what's going on in everyone else's life. It may find you tonight just simply in need of a Savior and in need of forgiveness. Listen, 
Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead to demonstrate who he was. And he offers salvation by grace to anybody who would humbly call on him. You'd bow your head and close your eyes.